Everyone? I hope you guys are doing great. It is great to see everyone here this morning. So glad you came. And uh, how are you doing this morning? You know, how are you guys doing this morning? Awesome. Glad to hear. Glad to hear again. I was just uh, looking at the video and I was just really encouraged to see so many people that came out yesterday and served. Give yourselves a round of applause. That was just a beautiful, beautiful demonstration of, of the church there. And, um, you know, so we're doing this series called Resolutions. And I want you to think about, hey, how are your resolutions going? You know, and, and I don't know about you, but uh, I sat down this Friday with a, with a trusted married couple, and we were having a great time. And then they brought up the question, hey, David, Patty, how are your resolutions going? And I was like, oh, those things. Um, ooh. You know, I was like, all right. And, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, okay, how's that going? And, and resolutions isn't it really a time of self-improvement. Resolutions is really about us asking ourselves, what should I do about me? You know, nobody says that, but that's really what we start thinking, right? Is, is okay, what can I do? How can I improve better as a person? Uh, you know, can I get, you know, smarter, stronger, healthier? What can I do? And that's, and that's what we think about when we think about resolutions. And I don't know about you, but one of my resolutions was to go to the gym and work out. And uh, maybe that might be you, you know, December 31st, empty gym. In January, you see a whole bunch of people there. Um, so uh, what's funny is that this past Friday, uh, we went and played broomball with the teens. Are teens in the house? Woo! All right. But the campus was in the house as well, right? Woo! All right, so we had this whole awesome competition. I realized that I'm getting older. I had a hard time waking up Saturday morning. You know, I, I, I was, you know, it was exciting. If you ever done broomball, you had this, you know, you're on ice with shoes, not skates, and you're running around chasing a red ball. And uh, it was really fun, but I, I, I felt I was the first one to eat it, you know, within 10 seconds of the game. And uh, it was a fun time. But one of my goals was to, you know, be healthier, eat better, go to the gym and work out. But now I have an excuse not to go. I'm a little hurt, you know. So it's just been interesting. So, again, going back to the self-improvement and what should I do about me. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to go ahead and focus our attention on a very important question. And I want you to meditate on this question because as we think about, you know, what can I do? What should I do about me? How can I improve? It's important that we understand a very important question that I'm going to go ahead and share that question after I read a chapter in the Bible. So I'm going to hold you to that. You know, I'm going to come back to that question, but I just want you to be ready because I'm going to go ahead and look at, at, at a person, uh, and I want to take you to the book of Nehemiah. And, and just to give you a little historical account or a little background here, Nehemiah was, was, was a Jew who had been exiled, and he was currently living in, in, in Babylon. And what had happened is 70 years, this is around 4, 605 B.C. So this is around 605 B.C. Uh, the, the, the Jews had been, cat, uh, had been overtaken by the Babylons, and uh, Nehemiah is here. And uh, if you can think of modern-day Israel, you had the southern part. That was uh, the, uh, Judah. That's where Judah was, and the northern part was uh, where the Babylons were at. And what's interesting is that we meet this uh, a guy named Nehemiah. And we're going to go ahead and read Nehemiah chapter 1. But just to give you a background, Nehemiah, uh, you know, is actually the, the persons that overtaken the Babylonians. And he's serving one of the kings, King Artaxerxes. Try saying that 10 times. I worked on that so long. King Artaxerxes. Good luck trying to say that. But uh, he was the king of, uh, of Persia. And this is where we pick up, and we're going to go ahead and jump into the, God's Word here. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, 
and, and in, the, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So here we have a little historical perspective of where is Nehemiah? And Nehemiah is in Susa. And if you don't know, Susa was kind of like one of the primary cities of the Persian Empire there. And so he was living right there in a, in a great place to live. And this is where we, we continue with the story. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So here he is. He has someone visiting him, and he's asking. He's saying, hey, what's going on back in my country? What's going on back in the, in the country of my forefathers? And he's wondering, hey, people have been exiled. So again, for 70 years, you know, the Babylonians had taken some people back to, uh, uh, to their, their, their country, and they were using the Jews. They had exploited them and kind of kidnapped them. And Nehemiah is asking, hey, what's going on with my people back at home? How are they doing? How are the people that survived? Families have been split. So there's, you know, there's trouble going on. It, and, and now he gets a report back. And it says, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. So Nehemiah starts listening to some news. And he starts realizing that the people that, you know, his people are in trouble and in disgrace. So it continues. It gets worse. It says, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So this is where I'm like, man, Nehemiah is, is feeling something here. He's saying, you know what, these are not the, these are not the words that I wanted to hear. And, and well, he does something interesting next. He goes and he says, I, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So for Nehemiah, it wasn't some other breaking news. It wasn't just, hey, this is happening and, you know, uh, too bad, so sad, you know. Instead, he's like, wait a minute. My people are hurting. They're in trouble and they're in distress. And they, so, so the only response that he had is to sit down and weep. What makes you weep? What makes you sad? What makes you stop what you're doing to understand the condition of what's going on around you? And he says, he says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, so after he hears the news, he goes down and he prays, he fasts, and he goes to God. And this is his journal entry. It's pretty cool. We get a, a snapshot of his journal entry and his connection and his conversation with God. And, and this is what Nehemiah tells God. It says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So here, Nehemiah is talking to God and saying, God, you're awesome. You're a great God. You know, we need you. We love you. But then he says, hey, you keep a covenant. And what is that covenant that the Israelites had made with God? And that the covenant there was that if the Israelites, you know, obeyed God's commandments, exalted his name, glorify his name, the Israelites were going to have a place to live. They were going to have a land. But if they didn't, some consequences were coming their way. So, you know, here it goes, and, and it says, who love, and keep his com uh, who love him and keep his commandments. And it says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before you day and night. Look at Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah, not Jeremiah, Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah, praying day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And then it says, he does something, something interesting here. It says, I confess the sins. We Israelites, including myself and my father's family, 
have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. In other words, he's saying, look, this exile that we got, we deserved it. You know, this, this hey, we, we've been, you know, kicked out of our land. We deserve it. Why? Because we have been unfaithful. We, we have sinned against your, your decrees. So he's taken, a, and then he goes on and further explains. So he says, we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Again, Moses was the original pioneer of the covenant between God and the Israelites. So he's saying, we did not keep the, your, 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 our end of the bargain. It says, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, so now Nehemiah is saying, look, we're guilty, we sin, but here's what I want you to do, God. I want you to remember your words. Let's go back. And now Nehemiah is doing something interesting. He's going to quote God for his words, all right? Some of your kids do that, right? Remember, Dad, you said this. You know, remember, Mom, you said that, right? You know, we go back and we quote parents. I did when I was trying to get something. But, um, you know, here he goes, and, and, and Nehemiah does the same thing and says, now he's quoting God. This is what God told Moses a long time ago. It says, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my command, so here's what's happening. He's saying, okay, yeah, we were unfaithful, and you kept your end of the bargain. We're scattered. That's why I'm in uh, Susa and not in in Judah, right? Um, But it says, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people, which is happening at that moment of Nehemiah's life, it says, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them. It says, from there and bring them to the place, again, a living situation, a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And that's super encouraging for me when I think about, hey, no matter where you are today spiritually, you're never too far from returning back to God. You know, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe if you're really close, maybe you're feeling distant. I know for me with the New Year's and all the New Year's celebrations and Christmas and traveling, I've had a hard time connecting with God, you know. And, but then I was encouraged to remember this because it says that, hey, I can turn back and he will gather my heart back to his. And this is, he continues to says, they are your servants. Who? The Israelites. The Israelites are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. In other words, hey, God, remember, remember the whole Egypt thing and how you parted the Red Sea? You were the one that delivered us. Remember how you provided manna, you provided food for us, you took care of us? Remember those things. He's saying, look, we're trying to go back to you. And then it says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. It says, and then, and then he, so he has this conversation with God. And now he's going to pray one final request here. And he does something really interesting. He prays for this. He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That was the closure of his, of his prayer. And you're asking yourself, well, grant success for what? What is Nehemiah getting ready to do? What is this man getting ready to do? It says, his favor before the presence of, of this man. What man is he referring to? He's referring to the king of Persia that he's about to approach. And he's going to do something very interesting. Nehemiah is about to take an indefinite leave of absence, leave his position, and go back to Jerusalem. And it ends like this. It says, I was a cupbearer to the king. Boom, there's a statement. This is who I am. I'm the cupbearer of the king. You know, and at first I was like, well, that's a really high prestige position. You get to work closely with the king, you get to see him on a daily basis. You're in a palace. You're in a great city. Or you can look at it like, man, his life was in danger every single day. 
every meal he had to taste the cup before the king had it in case there was poison in it. I don't know if it's humiliating. I don't know if it's humbling. I don't know exactly what that title meant, but this is who he was. And here's the question that I want to ask you because this man was compelled to do something that was irrational. And this man was compelled to do something that was uncommon because of this question that I'm sure he probably asked himself or he felt right away. You guys ready for this question? Because this is the whole purpose of this Nehemiah chapter 1 is to get ready for this question. Are you guys ready for this question? Turn to your neighbor and say, yes, I'm ready for this question. All right, because I want you to think about this question, not just for tonight, not just for this week, but for the next few weeks. And if you're trying to have an incredible 2016, this question needs to be resounding throughout your, your, your days and throughout the months that coming up. And that question is, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? You know, maybe you're 15, 16, you're like, well, Dave, I haven't really thought about that. Maybe you're 25, 35, I don't know your age, but I want you to think about this. What breaks your heart? Meaning when you think of a situation, you think of something, something moves you. Something in your heart gets there. And when, when you're thinking about this question, what breaks your heart? In other words, what captivates your emotions? So much to the point where it's overbearing when you think about it. So much when you're like thinking about this one thing that's breaking your heart or something that moves you, you actually, you know, don't want to think about it because it disturbs your heart. It moves you. It makes you think, you know what, I, I don't want to think about that too much. It brings me to tears. That's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about, you know, what breaks your heart. And in other words, what needs to be done around me. I want you to really consider that because, you know, a lot of us, we think about the people that you admire. Who are the people you look up to? Think about that for a second. Think of someone that, that's impacted you. Think about someone that has really made an impact in your life or someone you look up to and respect, value. If you think about that person, I'm sure you're not concerned whether that person wasn't dead, whether they lost weight, or, you know, kind of what were their accomplishments. You care about how they impacted your life. And, and if you want to make an impact with other people's lives, you got to think about this. If you really want to become a better person, then you need to do something to make the world a better place. If you're trying to have a 2016 that you're going to remember for the rest of your life, you got to ask yourself, how can I make this place a better place to live in? How can I go ahead and make an impact with the skills and the tools that God's given me? Here's what I want to share with you this morning. It's that God's giving you tools, skills, and gifts to make an impact in this world. No matter what age, no matter how old you are. Maybe you think, David, you don't understand. I'm, I'm too old. I can't do this. Or, David, I'm too young. I don't have enough knowledge. Or, I'm broke. Uh, what can I do about that situation, you know? I, I want you to know that God's giving you tools, gifts, and talents to make an impact in this world. And maybe not change the whole world, but you can change the world for one individual. And that is the difference, you know. And I think some of us here sit down in our talents and gifts and hold them to ourselves and we don't use them for others. And what ends up happening, let me tell you what ends up happening when we don't use the talents and gifts that God's given for others. We start becoming blame shifters. People who blame things don't change things. And a lot of times we start getting critical, we start thinking, and we're like, well, that needs to change. And here's what's going to happen. 
Because God has put something in our hearts that move us and that steer us that you're going to see that issue be brought up. You're going to see something come up that connects with your heart. And instead of taking responsibility, you're going to go ahead and turn around and say, well, look, you know, it's this reason because of that. That person's not doing anything about it. And we start blaming people for the circumstances of our world. I want you to think about what is it about you, your community, your neighborhood, the city you live in? What is it that moves your heart? You know, again, it goes back to this fundamental question is what breaks your heart? And, and as I thought about this, man, I, I want to share with you a little bit about what breaks my heart. And, and this, I got a chance to pray about it. I got a, t- a chance to internalize this. And, and as I thought about what breaks my heart, and this, you know, it's humbling to, to put that up there, out there, but I hope that it helps you to think about what breaks your heart. I started thinking about, um, you know, one of the things that breaks my heart. I was, I was an elementary school teacher for four years prior to this, and, and I thought about the children that I work with. I thought about the broken homes when I saw that happening before my eyes. And I saw the separation, and I saw the pain and the hurt that went in those children. And I thought to myself, man, that breaks my heart, seeing, you know, a little girl crying out for her dad, seeing, you know, a a son just saying, hey, where's my dad? I don't really, you know, I would talk to them, and I would get personal with them, and they would share kind of like their difficulties, and I would see the emptiness there. And that broke my heart. You know, I also thought about something personal. What, what breaks my heart now is, you know, I'm a family, you know, we're a family of six. I have uh, two brothers and a sister, and only one of us, one, my old, one of my brothers is a disciple. My other brother and sister are not. And I thought about going to heaven and how excited I will be to meet Jesus and to think about my siblings not being there with me. I, I, almost, I started crying in my prayer because I was like, I've been so selfish i just been thinking about me this year, and I'm, I'm neglecting what really breaks my heart. And then I, got, I went even deeper because I work with an awesome campus ministry. And uh, what really hurts is when I look at, at the young crowds, when I'm at, at Cal Poly, Mount Sac, when I'm at, uh, you know, APU, um, Citrus College, when I'm out there, and I see people wasting their lives, not having a purpose, a direction, or I see people walk away from God. That breaks my heart. You know, so I made a, you know, this year I'm like, what, how am I going to be different? Is why did I leave my profession of teaching into going into the ministry? It's because I want to help people to the best of my abilities to equip them to have the character and, and, and the capacity to be able to be great husbands and great wives, great moms, great fathers, so that they can sustain a great family. And that, one of the best times to impact that is in the campus ministry. But what breaks your heart? That's what I want to ask you. That's my heart. But what breaks your heart this morning? All right, so here's what is really interesting is this is what Jesus taught. So now I'm going to go ahead and focus a little bit about, uh, I'm going to focus on Jesus here. And here's what Jesus taught. It said, devotion to God is measured in terms of devotion to others. Again, I'm going to repeat that again. Devotion to God is measured in terms of devotion, devotion to others. See, a lot of times we think that our relationship with God is all about me obeying God and praying to him and reading my Bible, isolation here, and we're good. But if you look at Jesus, he did not teach that. He did not preach that. And he actually taught the opposite because in every town that he went to, he made an impact. And I got to ask you this question because a lot of times we have anger in our hearts. We have sin towards someone else. And we think that we're good with God. But the truth is that our devotion to God is parallel to our devotion to others. 
So what are you doing this morning in your relationship with others? And I had to ask myself, why did Jesus, how did Jesus, uh, you know, have such great devotion to others? What propelled him? What, what moved him to do that? And I believe that Jesus introduced to us a, a very pretty clear concept that, you know, I think is something to be valued. And this is what he taught us. He taught that people have an inherit, not an ascribed value. I'll elaborate on that a little bit more. See, a lot of times we put value on people based on their clothes, based on their gender, based on, you know, their skin color, or how much they make, where they live, what kind of car they drive. Don't we make assumptions like this? Let's be real. You know, we make assumptions like that all the time. And we ascribe the value of people based on their appearances, what we see on the outside. But Jesus, he didn't. He had this value for people because of the value that God had placed in them. And Jesus knew that value full well when he died on the cross for us. See, the thing is that Jesus knows how valuable you are this morning. Sometimes we can forget our sense of value because we, put, we can fall into the, 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 the trap of the world or the prestige of the commercials and, and saying, hey, if I want to be valuable, I need to have X, Y, and Z. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. And you know, and the people that really understand this are the people that make the greatest impact, are the people that make the greatest change. And you know, this morning as I was thinking, I was like, man, it was so cool to hear about Martin Luther King. And I was just like, man, what, what, a, what an incredible man. And I want to share with you a little video which parallels kind of like Dr. King's most philosophical uh, ideas or kind of his guidance with some parallels from God. And I want you to see what you pick up. Let's go ahead and turn on the lights and I'm going to show this clip. Isn't that really neat? Did you see the parallels there of Dr. King's some of moral uh, guiding questions or, or, or quotations there and how you see God having the same heart? What is your heart this morning? Do you have, do you share that devotion that Jesus had to people? Or do we just think about ourselves? You know, and, and going back to, to Nehemiah, going back to, to, to the story of Nehemiah, Here's what's really interesting about Nehemiah's story is that Nehemiah's broken heart was not necessarily something that he came up with, 
but it was by divine design. See, when we look at the story, we just see Nehemiah's heart and what was going on in his time at, 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 that, at, that, at that window that we have. What's interesting is that 70 years prior to Nehemiah having this letter to God or writing this journal entry, there was already, God had already sent a man uh, 70 years prior to start rebuilding the temple, 70 years prior to, to Nehemiah doing this. And 14 years prior to Nehemiah, you know, writing this, uh, this, this uh, letter, this journal entry in Nehemiah chapter 1, 14 years just prior to that, there was a, a minor prophet called Ezra who had gone back to Jerusalem and had, had started to teach people the laws and decrees uh, of the Israelites, for the Israelites. And it's crazy because Nehemiah was a small section, a small part of that greater story. And what's even more fascinating is that because Nehemiah listened to the broken heart, while, when Nehemiah listened to what God had put in his heart, he took action. He was moved to do something. And because of that, he was able to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, which then 444 years later, Jesus will walk through and say, I am he. I am the one. I am the Messiah, the king, and the last prophet. And I will be bearing the sins of all the world for, for, for the sake of God and your relationship with him. Isn't that pretty awesome? Nehemiah's story. And here's what we got to understand that a lot of times when we have a burning sensation in our hearts, when we feel like something is moving in our hearts, please don't dismiss that. Because what you got to understand is that it is not necessarily you, but it is God putting something in your heart to take action. Because here's one of the biggest things that we need to understand is that you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to embrace the burden that God has put in your heart. See, when I, when I think about the decisions that I've taken because my heart has been broken, I think of the people that I've been able to help in Fresno, Tucson, and Japan, and now here. And I think to myself, what about if I wouldn't have taken God's challenge? What about if I had to live for myself? And I want to ask you that same question. What would you have been, you know, what can you do? Who can you impact if you will simply embrace the burden that God has put in your heart? So again, I want to encourage you to remember this. What breaks your heart? Let this be the guiding question. Instead of saying, what can I improve on? How can I get better? Or, you know, what club can I join to, to get better? Ask yourself this question, what breaks your heart? And again, if you really want to become a better person this year, if you want to make an impact for 2016, do something to make the world a better place. You know, and I want to go ahead and close it out with just thinking about Jesus. And thinking, I want you to take a personal moment to reflect on what Jesus has done for you. Take a personal inventory to say, man, that tough, difficult situation that you went through, you didn't get through it by yourself. It was Jesus who did it. There's not a difficult situation that you have gone through on your own. So I want you to think about Jesus and his heart and the value that he placed on others. Let's go to God in prayer and close it out with communion. Uh, Father God, good morning. It is so great to come before you. Uh, thank you so much for, first of all, just giving us a heart, something that we can feel, something that, we, uh, that you speak to us through. Thank you, God, for just your son, Jesus. Thank you for, sac for sacrificing him on the cross and his desire to want to come and reconciliate our relationship with you. God, I know that we're sinful. I know that we uh, are broken without you. But, God, that's why we need you. And I want to pray, Father, for just an incredible 2016.
now where they were two weeks into it, you know, a lot of the busyness of life starts getting, uh, becomes a routine again. God, I really want us to pray that each person in this room will go back and think about what breaks our heart. God, that we can not only just, you know, weep, but that it, like we can imitate Nehemiah where we hear something, we pray, but then we take action. God, I pray that your spirit will guide us. Thank you again for your love, for your mercy, and your sacrifice. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.